All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast, Emergency Pod Edition. Wop, That's wop, right. Wop, wop, wop. That's right. Air horns, air sirens, whatever you want to use to for the emergency element of this. Uh, there was a little bit of an LIBP bat signal thrown up this morning or afternoon, depending upon what time zone you're in, but at least the ones that we were in, Nick where we thought we had plans for a relaxing Saturday. It is sunny in Seattle right now, and I'm not looking at that sun or outside. I am in here in my little nook, as we talked about in the last episode, recording with you about some crazy transfer news that dropped over the last five to six hours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about like an all-timer. <laughs> this is this is an all-timer uh, for, for Chelsea. Uh, look, uh, Mudrik, uh, the Shakhtar Donetsk winger who has starred in the Champions League this year, who has been an Arsenal fan since he was a wee lad. Uh, apparently, um, Egbali, Win Stanley, Vavell, and Co. have gone and just slammed the door on a deal uh, in the in the early morning hours Central Time U.S. And so I wake up a little. A little blurry in the eyes. I'm I'm kind of looking at my phone, and then you know we have our our wonderful WhatsApp group, Dan, that is our friends Ollie and Sam and Ishan and you, me, and Brandon and Tweeds and and everyone is just rapid fire texting this group saying what what the hell happened? <laughs> like it is an unbelievable like turnaround from a transfer saga perspective. It's definitely the anchorman boy that escalated quickly. That is absolutely what happened here. And so in this episode, we've done a couple of things. Look, we had to get Naz on. We talked to him about the specifics of the deal, how this all came to fruition. So he was very nice to join us before he went out to uh, hopefully a wonderful dinner uh, with his significant other. So thank you again, Naz, for jumping on to spend time with us. And then Andrew, who's a British-Ukrainian football journalist, gave us a, a lot of insight into Modric as a player, what his footballing journey looks like, things that we should be looking forward to, things that are going to be question marks, and where he could potentially develop. So I think in general, Nick, this episode is a good primer because I know Sam, even during moving right now, yes, he is moving resonances. He is hard at work at making sure we can record a player profile episode. I feel like it's uh, you know Goku on Nemesk. He's training at 100% times gravity to make sure that this can work. And, you know, he is going to have all the research done so we can get a player profile out um, in the next day or two as well. Yeah, I want Sam's new address so we can send him some food or some or some caffeine or something, because, I mean, he's the hardest working man in football right now outside of Chelsea's scouting department, apparently. So, uh, yeah, everyone just send your well wishes to Sam. But super great to talk to Andrew Todos, who is who is uh, giving us a really interesting Ukrainian view on this player and kind of his journey. I love that. It was really kind of a different thing than we've had on uh, before. And uh, look, I I don't know how I feel about this. We're three hours, four hours, five hours into this. I don't really know how I feel. I know that this is not a central midfielder. I know that this is, is maybe not a right back. Uh, in fact, I know those are, are both true, uh, but it's clearly an exciting player. It's clearly a player that's excelled in the Champions League this year, which is a competition that we're still in, uh, for lack of a better word. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as my as my friends Drew and Blaze uh, put in our friend group chat, 
why did Chelsea sign one of the Backstreet Boys? And and then I hit him back with the, tell me why, and uh, why is this happening? So I don't know, maybe Naz will, will be the one to cue us in on that, Dan. Yeah, there's plenty of information in this episode. So again, uh, if you want it that way, we're going to give it to you in terms <laughs> of wonderful information about Mudrick. So we're going to jump into Naz first, and then we'll get to Andrew. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of an emergency... Actually, it's an emergency episode. Stop the brakes. Pump them. You're listening to an emergency episode of the London is Blue podcast. It is Saturday morning, uh, still morning at this point. No, actually, just into afternoon here in Seattle. Dan, one of your hosts here. No Nick and Brandon, because look, we were planning on not recording today. It was a day off of football, but Chelsea had to go officially agree to bringing... Mikhailo Mudrick to Chelsea from Shakhtar Donetsk. And look, we're going to talk about it. We had to get someone who's been reporting on it and had their whole night disrupted. So, uh, Naz, thanks for spending a little time before you go out this evening to talk about Chelsea's new signing, question mark? Yeah, I don't think there's much of a question mark anymore. Uh, it's as good as good as can be done, really. You know, we've got tweets out about him on the Chelsea social channels, um, push notifications on my phone. Um, the pictures on Chelsea's Instagram page of, of, of this signing. So, uh, yeah, I've only just learned how to say his first name. So that's another thing. So, uh, yeah, I bet I guess we better get on with it. Well, Naz, maybe we just start right at the beginning. This looked like very much it was going to be an Arsenal deal. The player seemingly wanted Arsenal. Arsenal wanted the player. That had been the general reporting all the way up to about... 24 hours ago and seemingly this all happened in a very very short window so maybe as you've been reporting on this now as you've uh, thrown thrown your evening plans out to go to the pub or wherever with your missus what have you learned about how this deal came to fruition considering Arsenal seemed to be in the driver's seat for the majority of December until now yeah, Arsenal were in the driver's seat. The player wanted to join Arsenal. I mean, they're top of the Premier League, right? So it's not too bad. I mean, this this is a guy, Mikhailo Mudrik, who was posting pictures on his Instagram page of Arsenal matches. Um, he p- posted praying hands when Arsenal were negotiating to sign him. Um, you know, it, it wasn't like anything wasn't out there in the public domain. Everyone knew what was going on. Um, Arsenal said, you know, uh, Arsenal pretty much acknowledged he was their main target. Mikel Arteta... Um, had a cheeky smile about it when asked about it in a press conference. So it was one of the worst kept secrets in football that you know Arsenal were trying to sign this guy. It felt like it would get done eventually, even though it was hard. Arsenal were trying to play hard uh, to get the fee down. Um, Shakhtar were really determined to get a hundred million euros for this player, uh, who they believe is going to become one of the best players in the world. Um, now, if you don't believe that, then fair enough. But that's what Shakhtar believes. So um, yeah, Arsenal were trying to get the fee down. Um, spent a long time doing it. Uh, Chelsea have always been interested, um, sort of having contact with Shakhtar and things like that. Uh, but, you know, if the player wants to join a different team, then it seems like there's only so much you can do. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, Arsenal had their final bid in uh, recently, €95 million, Euros, which is just five short of the asking price. Um, I think that Shakhtar were inclined to accept it as long as many of the payments were up front. Um, but Chelsea just went, you know what, let's just pay the asking price, convince the player. Uh, many people didn't think it'd be possible to convince the player, but they, they seemingly have done. He's um, He's got to sign the contract still and do his medical. 
um, tomorrow as we speak. It's uh, Saturday night, I believe. Um, yeah, so tomorrow when Chelsea are playing or on that day, he'll be he'll be doing those kind of things. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's seemingly a done deal, and yeah, right under the nose is one of the greatest ever transfer hijacks because not only is this a player we thought for almost a month was joining Arsenal, but also uh, one of the biggest deals in Premier League history. Um, incredible, absolutely incredible that that Chelsea pulled off this sort of swindle from uh, under Arsenal's noses. Yeah, I think there's a lot of question marks or questions that we all still have. Uh, people running to YouTube to say that they've known him forever and they've always been on his radar, or he's always been on their radar, rather. From your understanding as you've looked into it, how much of this was knowing about the player beforehand? How much of this is the new, you know, Paul Stanley and others, the new recruitment group kind of coming in and identifying him as someone that they would want to make a move for? And maybe how much of this is also impacted by Ziyech, Pulisic, the Jao Felix red card. Seemingly a lot of things in Chelsea's attack have not gone well this year. And did that drive their hand a little bit? Yeah, maybe. I think, you know, Potter said that the sort of injuries um, forced Chelsea's hand to sort of sign Felix. But I think with this one, it's more of a long-term uh, option because he's going to sign a seven-and-a-half-year deal. So he's going to be here for a while. Uh, but yeah, uh, Chelsea have had Paul Stanley in place for a little while now and Christopher Vavell. So those two have both been heavily involved in sort of getting this deal done. Um, the owners are involved in everything. So, you know, they are involved in this. And, and you know, Bedard Egbali was over there um, sort of negotiating the deal with the with the Shakhtar president. So uh, massively involved. They've also had Dario Serna at Stamford Bridge as well. Um, at that point, it didn't feel like Chelsea were going to get it done. Uh, they had him at Stamford Bridge on the 5th of December um, when Chelsea lost to Manchester City. So, um, yeah, it, it didn't feel like it was going to get done at that point. But they've been doing the hard yards and the work behind the scenes. And, and eventually, they seem to have convinced... I think Shakhtar were always convinced to do a deal with Chelsea, but it's really been the player side who've who've been pretty quiet in all this, trying to get on with it, apart from the player himself, um, who seemed to want Arsenal. But... Uh, eventually they did sort of get their heads turned by Chelsea. I think Chelsea did offer a bigger contract than Arsenal were were offering, but um eventually, you know, it was um you know, it's it's about who you get over the line. Chelsea obviously value this player more than Arsenal, even though seemingly you look at it and you think Arsenal need him more. Um but Chelsea just are more aggressive and and when you're doing deals it does pay to be aggressive sometimes. Absolutely. One of the things that or maybe is the question is just how involved was Potter in this? You know, we've seen maybe this move to a recruitment strategy, a holistic element, a think tank, as it were, in terms of the decision making. And we know Graham Potter, obviously, you know, get his seat is a little hot at the moment, uh, maybe not internally, but externally, it feels like the, uh, the there's pressure there. What What is maybe the understanding you have of how much of his go-ahead was given for this, maybe over other positions of need? Well, Potter will always be asked about every transfer. Um, and uh, he's also got, you know, um, Kyle McCauley there, who's constantly involved in these conversations. So he doesn't like to be involved in it, really, until it's quite near, um, you know, until it's something that's quite concrete, I guess you'd say. Uh, he doesn't want to be told about every single name, a bit unlike... A lot of fans, really, who like the names, but I think he uses Kyle McCauley to sort of roadmap potential signings. You know, he he understands how Potter plays and what he's after. 
um, and, and Potter has that guy in the recruitment team, so he doesn't need to worry about it for the most part, but then eventually, when it gets close, he is asked, you know, what he thinks about it, you know, squad planning for the future, everything like that, so he does get involved, but I think he's happy to stay out of the conversations a little bit and, and let let Pete, let it, let what come what may, really, um, and deal with what he gets, so I think he's the perfect sort of manager for these owners who do like getting involved in it, do enjoy getting involved in the business, in those recruitment conversations. They don't have a manager constantly knocking stuff back or getting irritable. Um, yeah, we're talking about Potter's hot seat being um, a little hot with the, with the fans after each game. Um, but yeah, it was something Thomas Tuchel found incredibly stressful. But now Graham Potter and the structure that they've sort of built is working f- you know, to a certain extent. It's at least getting deals over the line. Potter's focusing on his team to a, a degree, a good degree. Um, January transfer windows always distract him, but yeah, they're getting deals done, and um, yeah, we'll see. We don't know if it's going to work out or not really yet, but um, we'll see if it does. Um, you know, this is sort of a new way of doing things, and 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 things are getting done in terms of the transfer business. One of the questions that we got when we threw a tweet out, letting people know that we were putting up the NAS signal into the uh, the, the midnight sky, was was this a data-driven move or was it a vibes move in terms of the deal? Because, I mean, we've seen a player who, I think the comment was someone said he posts his own YouTube clips of himself as YouTube highlight reels. Uh, But also there's some underlying data that's uh, pretty nice from his, uh, I think I saw one individual on Twitter talk about like laser laser accuracy in terms of his shots on target. So like, I think there's there's equal sides to that, but what's your understanding of how he fell into being the right fit for Chelsea? Look, you've got to say that Arsenal's interest in you know them trying to get the deal done. Part of the joy of doing this deal is stopping Arsenal sign their main target. This is the guy they wanted to push them over the line to win the Premier League. So I think that you know it's not that Chelsea don't want Arsenal to win the league and would prefer Man City, but it's a case of. Yeah, they know that they're going to be competing with Arsenal for years to come. This is the last chance you've got to sign this player who is a major target. He he's always been a major target. They've known him and scouted him well. Um, but at the same time, Arsenal have pushed him over the line. Maybe you don't want to pay that much. Maybe you want to spend a bit more time considering it. But Arsenal forces your hands because Arsenal are pretty close to signing this player, right? So, yeah, I mean, data is going to be a huge part of this deal um, you know, I'm looking at the goals and assists that he's got, um, and you know they're not unbelievable; they're quite good. Um, but you know they'll have other data, you know, about his roadmap, what they're expecting for him to come, um, speed, you know, running intensity. Um, I'm sure Shakhtar would have helped provide some of the data to try and get Chelsea to pay, because I'm sure because Shakhtar will be delighted. They've got their asking price here. Um. So, yeah, it's worked out well for Shakhtar, this situation. So I'm sure all that has been considered. Chelsea have a data-driven approach. They do that for every sign-in. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you know, there is a vibes part because you're stopping Arsenal getting a player. Um, so it's a bit of both. Surely it's a bit of both. And, um, you know, I would say some of the deals Chelsea have done have been reactive as well as, you know, probably have some sound backing. And, and hey, you can always find data to support your emotions, right? So people do it all the time on social media and you can do that in in recruitment as well. One of the other things that we had a question about, which was just the, hey, how can we afford this where we're doing a lot of other urgent signings of need? There's still a need to go potentially find a 
backup for Reese James. The midfield is in need of a massive overhaul. They're they're citing the three favorite letters or three least favorite letters, depending upon uh, what side of the accounting books you're on in terms of uh, FFP. So Chelsea, obviously, looking at this, the long-term deal kind of removes or spreads out that amortization over seven and a half years. So definitely makes it better on a year-by-year basis for the books. But there is that question, I think, that some people have around, like, just how are Chelsea capable of continuing to spend at this rate? Yeah, it's a big question. I don't know the answer fully, but um, yeah, the contracts. The most important part of this conundrum is the contract length. So yeah, all these contracts that are really long that everyone's ridiculing, um, because they're long, Chelsea gets to do more deals uh, because you know it's the equivalent of you, you pay the transfer fee. The transfer fee that's up front, which is €70 million, Euros, goes straight to Shakhtar. But when it comes to accounting, Chelsea don't put €70 million on their books. They put it across the contract. So... They'll put it on like, you know, I don't know, it'll be, I guess, 10 million euros a season, plus any add-ons that come through that will also be spread across that. So, um, yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, a way of doing many, many deals. Uh, the longer the de- the longer the contracts, obviously, you're spreading the costs, you know, dividing it by seven instead of the usual five-year deal that most players sign. So, uh, yeah, that's why Chelsea are doing this um, kind of unprecedented thing that no one's really done before. In football, I don't know if it's crazy or if it's sensible, but um, that's how they're trying to get around FFP. But I've spoken to people uh, on both sides of the coin on Chelsea and UEFA about this, and obviously Chelsea are being watched. Chelsea are not worried about being watched. They're on a watch list with many other clubs in Europe. I think there's six in England um, who are on the watch list. People like West Ham, um, Nottingham Forest, um, they're being watched for FFP as well. But Chelsea are being yeah, watched and, um, you know, it's it's never really... I think Man City went over FFP once and they had to play for your players in the Champions League and pay a fine, um, but I think they were happy to do that, to sort of squad build. So it's either a case that Chelsea are happy to take it, which I don't think they are. I think that they're trying to avoid any sanctions um, or, you know, they, they do believe they'll beat the accounting system. So... Yeah, what will happen is Chelsea literally, or it'll be really boring. Um, it's not as exciting as it sounds on social media, but they'll literally file their accounts to UEFA. UEFA will go over them through their accountants and they'll either decide that Chelsea have broken the rules by a bit or a lot or or whatever, and then they'll decide the punishment after that. So it's an accounting thing. It's Chelsea's lawyers and accountants looking over it, then UEFA's, and then a decision will be made. So, yeah, um, I think, you know, Chelsea... There's probably a chance they could fight any any penalties, but you know, in reality, I think they're pretty locked in. The new financial fair play rules as well are getting more strict. So this is the reason why Chelsea are doing it now. It's not always going to be like this. They're just being aggressive now because every single year that goes by now, the rules are going to get stricter and stricter. Chelsea and all the other clubs will be able to sign fewer players um, for less money. Uh, there'll be more controls. If, if teams break rules, it'll be easier to punish them as well. Um, so it's uh, it's now or never for Chelsea's new owners, really, and they're and they're saying, yeah, we're going to take advantage of this moment. Are they going to waste it or take advantage of it? We'll only know from the way the players perform on the pitch. Sure. So there have been a lot of other rumors in terms of attackers, whether it was Thuram, whether it was Nani for PSV. How is this, from your understanding, impacting some of those other? 
pursuits that Chelsea had in terms of rounding out this attack to try to give Potter with one of the worst performing offenses in the Premier League at the moment. Are there still more to come or is this kind of the capstone and probably now this cools a lot of other interests that they had? Yeah, I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure on it, but they did make a bid for Noni Madueke um literally like last night. So um yeah, I don't feel like they're going away. Um I think they could do more. Um you know, when it comes to forwards, I think a lot of the fans, like you were saying earlier, believe that midfielder and, and right back is a greater need, but it seems to be a great desire to sign forwards. Um of course, like Marcus Turam, you've got the option to try and do a pre contract for next season, which is what the player would prefer. I think he wants to stay in Germany, finish the season. They're doing quite well. He's doing quite well. Um, just have some stability and then and then come to Chelsea uh, a bit later. Maybe Chelsea would clear out some space for him as well. So it could be a win-win in that regard. Um, Noni Madueke as well. Um, yeah, I'm I'm surprised by some of these moves as everyone else is, but you know, it doesn't stop Chelsea doing them. Um, Jacob Steinberg, my mate of the Guardian, he wrote that. Chelsea inquired about uh, Mikel Antonio as well, um, who's at West Ham. Um, so, you know, you've got... I think that there's... I'm hearing about loads of players Chelsea are talking about, inquiring, asking about. I don't always put them all out because it's just pointless unless it's concrete. But they really are exploring every angle, every nook and cranny, looking under every rock of this transfer window. Um, seemingly, especially in attack, um, to see what's possible. So... Yeah, um, I think they're really interested in a player who can boost them now, but you know, I don't think it stops them. And especially in Tram's case, it could be a, a great option that they do a pre-contract, don't spend any money, a bit of FFP relief, um, and try and get somebody sold in the summer. They, they do need to think about sales, surely. Um, it's I think everyone in football, not just me, not just you, the fans, not just you know actual people who work as sporting directors, um, as owners of football clubs, as agents, as... As, as UEFA, as FIFA, they're looking at this and thinking, what is going on? It's incredible. It's crazy. It's world record breaking. Um, it's, you know, it's absolutely staggering. So it's it's a fascinating time at Chelsea. If they do succeed with this project, expect it to be emulated. If they fail, expect them to be absolutely ridiculed. As we look ahead, maybe just to some quick impacts on how this impacts some of the existing attackers, Pulisic, Ziesh, others. Do you, would you expect anyone in that like attacking group to leave now before the end of January? Maybe seeing, you know, with Felix coming in, with Mudrik coming in, that there might be less availability for them to get minutes over the remainder of the season. Particularly that you now have someone on a seven and a half year deal and someone who looked outside of a really ridiculous red card tackle challenge looked really bright in his appearance. It's seeming like you could have two of them probably as starters in that attack for the remainder of the season once they're both secured. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense what you're saying. Um, it's hard to understand what the plan is, really. There's so much talent there in attack, and I know Chelsea fans are frustrated with the way the team's performing, but the players are all good players, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, the problem is selling Aubameyang, he's not allowed to leave. There's no, He's not allowed to play for another club, so unless they sell him um, for next summer and just don't play him and unregister him, they could do that. Or, you know, I don't think they're going to get a transfer fee for him um, if they do try and get rid of him. Uh, certainly not for um, a non-English club anyway. Um, I think that with when it comes to Pulisic, um, Graham Potter's already said he's staying. So that's 
you can pretty much uh, chalk that one off. Hakim Ziyech is the only one I can see now uh, leaving. Um, but, you know, I think that these guys will pl be planning their escape routes. But, you know, ha Hakim Ziyech, she's proven too expensive for um, Ajax or AC Milan to sign. They, they don't want to cover his contract. That's a problem Chelsea have now is getting rid of the players from the Abramovich era to sort of clear room for the Bowley era. And I think every Chelsea fan wants to see players sold, if they're honest, really now. Even though maybe you're thankful of something this player did or you like them, like the way they play. I think that, you know, Chelsea, as fans, maybe even including the owners, they'd be happy to see them on their way. But it's easier said than done. And I, and I don't see any concrete proof, um, either like from my sources or or from you know other people who are reporting that there's any any deals being done in this area i don't think you know maybe they don't even have time sometimes i i um do some reporting on something to do with chelsea and they're like literally the owners don't have time because they're focusing on transfers or they're focusing on the sporting director thing it's like it does take time doing these things it takes a lot of time so um these are busy people i mean todd bowley was down at the golden globes uh, and then flew back to london so um you know the, these people are very busy and they're and they're struggling to, you know, conquer every aspect to this. But it's more about what's the priority, and the priority to them is transfers, bringing people in. Um, and we'll see. In terms of outgoings, I think deadline day, you might get a lot of activity on outgoings. You'll get really angry Chelsea players, desperate to leave. Um, maybe they'll find a way out. Um, there might be one or two surprises of people who leave, but. Yeah, I think deadline day is going to be fascinating. And, and if FFP is an issue as well, maybe Chelsea have to sell people for a cut price deal because people know Chelsea have to sell. And at that point, they'll be like, let's try and get, you know, ZH for 5 million, you know, euros or something like that, just to give them a bit of money, take the wages off the wage bill. And, and you know, that's a problem for Chelsea solved, but we get this good player for quite cheap. I think the other thing that you mentioned, and I feel like this is why we're going to see what you said in terms of maybe Chelsea offering some cut price deals for players that are unhappy or maybe not first choice anymore, is you tweeted about the PL registrations after signing Mudrick. Chelsea is going to be at the limit. And so someone is half, you know, if you are going to bring in a Thuram, a Nani, someone else, I think Nani technically would qualify under the uh, club register or club uh, because he had been at Tottenham previously. So he could be like a homegrown count. So he kind of avoids that. But if you bring in another senior player, like if you did go after um, another international midfielder and brought them in, you would have to register them and that would put you above your limit. So you couldn't. So I think that's to me why we are likely to still see some more outgoings. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Registration's an issue in Champions League as well. Um, we could get some controversial stories where um, a player's been left out of the Champions League, especially if Chelsea go far in the Champions League, which doesn't look likely at this stage. But um, if um, if they leave out, like, you know, apparently, you know, I was chatting to Phil about this on Twitter and he said uh, Chelsea were already at the limit now for Champions League um, in terms of registration. So Mudrick will have to take out someone. I think that even João Felix has to take somebody out of the 25-man list because the Champions League rules are stricter than Premier League rules. So you might get a situation where, um, say, you know, Kante and, and Pulisic are left out because they're injured and then Chelsea go find the Champions League and they're like, oh, we want to play Kante, he's playing well. That could be an issue. Um, or it could be that Pulisic's really angry because he wants to play in the semi-final um, of the Champions League. Chelsea get there. Um, you know, there, there could be problems with this situation. So... 
yeah, if they don't sell, um, there could be some registration-related issues, yeah, for sure. And so maybe kind of rounding this, where do you think Chelsea goes next in terms of prioritization for a player after Mudrick? It feels like everybody is clamoring for a midfielder. My kingdom for a midfielder, as we say. Is that where Chelsea are going to try to get something done between now and the end of the window, particularly with the Zakaria injury question mark that we have, uh, Jorginho and even Kovacic maybe playing a little below their level, and N'Golo Kante still not being available for the short-term future? Yeah, I think that um, surely they're not going to sign another forward before a midfielder or or right wing back, right back. So, um yeah, I see those are the priorities. I've always been told that. I've been told, you know, I told what the, uh, you know, one of my first pieces I wrote before the January transfer window was striker after Armando Breuer has become a, a priority, and now they've signed a sort of striker in uh, Jao Felix and a left winger. So, uh, and they signed a centre back. I think Badiashile. That's a unique one where they were just like, let's do it. It's easy to do. Um, it was an opportunity. Um, yeah, let's get it done before anyone else comes in for him. So. Yeah, I think that's sort of how it's gone um, for Chelsea. But yeah, I was always told centre mid and uh, right back were were on the agenda. So we should see that happen. Uh, or, or we might not see it happen, but we should see them try to at least make it happen or, or you know, look at some options. So you might see more names there. But yeah, the registration issue, how far can they push it? Um, will they get tempted for another forward? I can't rule anything out. I honestly can't rule anything out. That's the way it's been. Um, sort of covering Chelsea under these owners. I think it will stabilise after a while, but at the minute, I'm feeling unsettled. I'm surprised by some of the deals, and uh, yeah, anything could happen. Well, this is great to get to chat with you about it. Before you went out, before you finished your evening, because Chelsea decided a little more chaos sprinkled atop all of our lives in the moment, is definitely worth having if it is going to allow Chelsea to... Look, we're not holding much over Arsenal at the moment on the pitch, so a couple off-the-pitch victories does feel a little nice. It's a, a little bit of a consolation prize at the moment. So uh, hopefully uh, you and your missus can go out and enjoy a couple of nice beverages and relax a little bit before Chelsea are back in business tomorrow playing against Crystal Palace, uh, giving a lovely tribute to Viale at home, and potentially celebrating uh, dunking on social media further because the admin right now is just on a bender i don't know <laughs> i don't know where they're at right now but they're having the time of their life um, i need to go where they're going they seem like they're having a good night so maybe that's what we need to do all right naz we appreciate it thank you so much for jumping on to this quick emergency pod uh listeners make sure to go give naz a wonderful thank you for uh spending a little extra time before heading out this evening to join us to talk about mudrick coming from Shakhtar Donetsk to Chelsea. Seemingly more and more confirmation as we're recording. Not yet the official Chelsea one, but they're telling you to go follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. So I don't know. We look pretty good right now. So thank you so much. Uh, we'll keep you posted with more information as we get it. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. All right. So for the next part of this podcast talking again, it's an emergency po emergency podcast about Modric coming to Chelsea. We had to get some specifics. We had to go to someone who's a little bit more educated than us. And when I say a little bit more, Nick, I mean a lot more. So, yeah. So we have Andrew, who's a British Ukrainian football journalist. Uh, he might know him from the Zoria Londonisk uh, account that he has, as well as the Ukrainian Plus Football podcast. But we're very excited to bring you in because we, as people who assumed this was a done deal to Arsenal, 
need some quick information, some quick hits about what we should be expecting. Yeah, Andrew, well, welcome to the show. Um, <laughs> we were just joking a little bit off air about how uh, rapid uh, this happened and how maybe unexpected it was. Can you just kind of take us through the journey of your day really quickly and and how this has all kind of come about? Because it, it totally sideswiped me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, pleasure to join you and hopefully provide a bit more insight on this surprise transfer that I think no one was really expecting. Yeah, so I'm obviously based in London, uh, so I've had a bit more of the day um, to, to savour all of this. At the very start of the day, there were talks that Edu from Arsenal, their sporting director, was flying in to do the deal for Mudrik and everything seemed to be going their way. And then literally midway through the afternoon, just as the UK time 3pm kickoffs were finishing, <laughs> the Mudrik to, to Chelsea deal came through and honestly I thought that that had probably um I guess shifted a bit over the past week especially after we saw Darius Cerner at Stamford Bridge last week um and the talks were I don't know I just think that 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 had passed based on all of the talk from the insiders from the journalists and everything and and Mudrick himself <laughs> on Instagram with all <laughs> Arsenal flags and all of oh yeah, liking every post you'll see. And here we are. He's on his way to London, may already be here, and gonna do his medical and science. So it's 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 been I I'd even say an overwhelming day of of a transfer saga that will probably go down in history, in all honesty. At this time of recording, guys, as far as I'm aware, it's like the first ever time that I think a club that hasn't officially unveiled a player is talking about or making official <laughs> website posts, news posts saying we're in negotiations for him and all this kind of, it's, it, it, I think it's just a new wave. We, we are seeing some a, a shift in football transfer history. <laughs> so you, th- this is very American, uh, I will say. Like yeah. American sports teams do tend to operate with a high level of transparency that, British organizations or maybe even like all other world sport does not operate necessarily unless you're like a publicly traded football team where you do have to disclose deals of a financial magnitude. So like we have seen those type of leaks happen where like, well, we have to let you know because the shareholders need to know this is unprecedented for Chelsea where the admin is dunking on others. What we see posts about on Instagram, Nick, like this is just, this is the wild, wild west Absolutely, with Chelsea. I mean, it's it's shocking though, Andrew, that Shakhtar put it out, right? Like, I, I think that was the thing that kind of sparked this for me. It's like if you're negotiating, typically you don't negotiate out in the open like that because you'd shut down the chances for others to come in and do what Chelsea did, which is make the late pay over the odds, like do do the last minute thing. So I don't know. Are you surprised by that at all? In all honesty, in the same way as I'm surprised by Chelsea's sort of actions today, Shakhtar's as well. They're, especially on social media, they're pretty orthodox in how they do stuff. That You know, they just post uh, goals or goal competitions and all that kind of stuff. They never really engage like maybe more Western European Twitter accounts or Instagram accounts do with <laughs> with all of, you know, topical news and stuff like that. And today they fully went for it. They started teasing from the very beginning of the morning. Uh, about, oh, 
stay tuned. We've got some big news for you guys. And in the end, it ended up being Mudrick winning their 2022 player of the year and just being presented <laughs> with with the, with the ball. <laughs> so they've been at it all day, really. And I think this has sort of come to a head that maybe there might even be an agreement with Chelsea that this is some sort of new social media policy where let's let's just maximise or milk this as best as we possibly can because it's so crazy. So a, su- a subclause for, we need to increase our Twitter engagement and followers no. by a certain amount. <laughs> so Chelsea has to do something. Dan, <laughs> what you missed in the transfer news is that we actually sent one of our social media admins over in exchange for, for Mudrik as well. So they're going to really be amping it up over there for Shakhtar. It's going to be great. Uh, all right. Well, we have had fun. We've had a chance to get the jitters of this out. But Andrew, as you look at Mundrick as a player, maybe you could walk us through a little bit of his journey. I was listening to a little bit of the Ukraine Plus football podcast where you were talking about like the fact that he used to play for our Arsenal Kiev in terms of his like having a loan there previously. So there's there was history with Arsenal in his past, which made sense why Arsenal was tra- targeting him. But now he's coming to Chelsea. So let's learn a little bit more about his background. Yeah, absolutely. So as everyone knows, he just turned 22 at the start of this month. He has had quite a long journey. Um, I started my page, Zoran Donsk, in 2018. And that's when I think the, the, the early sort of hype around him began. That donning the nickname, the Ukrainian Neymar, was already starting to make movements on social media by, you know, talent scout accounts and everything else. And he was still playing for the Shakhtar youth team. So he was playing in the UEFA Youth League. He was doing those kind of uh, messy Suarez penalties where instead of shooting, he was passing it <laughs> across to his teammate. You know, he was quite conscious of how to go viral um, as a footballer. And during these sort of younger years, per se. He did go out and loan to Arsenal Kiev. They were relegation fodder, sadly, in the season he was there. And then they ended up folding towards the end of that, towards the end of that season. And just in general, he didn't really make much of an impact there. Then he was sent out on another loan uh, the, the year after to Desna Chernihiv. He had, a, I guess, a not a breakthrough, but he started playing a bit more in the first team in the Ukrainian Premier League in the first six months. Then in December, January, he returned to Shakhtar for the remainder of the year and he only made one appearance. So it just seemed like a slightly strange decision. And during that time, the Shakhtar manager was um, Luis Castro. And he had a bit of an issue with Madrid because he publicly stated that he should probably focus less on making viral 4-3-3 TikTok and Instagram videos where he's trying to control a ball from the top of a you know eight-story building or something like that, or taking shots from you know the middle of the middle of um, an astroturf pitch and controlling it just you know quite skillfully. But these these videos were getting millions of views, etc. But he wasn't really focusing fully on his football. Then Castro ended up leaving because his contract expired. Roberto De Zerbi came in. We all know him because obviously he's currently tearing it up at Brighton, may I add, wow, amazing stuff. And he took him, he took um, Mudrik under his wing, really. In the first few weeks that he was there, they had a, I guess, a talking, a uh, little meeting on the pitch after training in pre-season. And Deserby said, what do you want to achieve in your life? What what goal have you set yourself? And Mudrik said back to him, 
in no uncertain terms. This was before he even was properly a first-team player or anything at Schachter. I want to win the Ballon d'Or. Um, and deservedly told him, listen, I have faith in you and I'll do everything that I can to try and help you reach that goal. Obviously, due to the war uh, and everything else that's happened, Deserbi ended up leaving. However, Mudrik was given the chance after that to start playing first-team football a lot more regularly. He became, because all of Shakhtar's foreigners left, he was basically given that left-wing role as his starting position. He took it upon himself. He became one of the leaders of the team, per se, maybe not in captain uh, skills, but just as one of the top players. And he's not, he's really not looked back since. And you could say over the past 18 months, they've been sort of astronomical for him. And that's all culminated with this move to Chelsea. So, so I mean, let's, let's talk about that because it, it does strike me. He's obviously only 22 years old. So his, his CV couldn't be that long. Right. But it, it's notable that for this amount of money, Typically, you are getting as as a club who's who's on the receiving end someone who has been a proven 20, 30 goal a season forward or someone who produces ridiculous numbers of assists or whatever the case might be. That's, you know, for, for obviously, you know, circumstances beyond his control in the numbers game. That That is not the case here. I mean, you're getting mm-hmm. a relatively young player who certainly has a lot of skill and talent, uh, but has not necessarily put up the numbers yet to, to command a hundred million uh, euro transfer. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on the valuation? And is this, is this certainly something that you would classify as, as uh, worthwhile for any one of the clubs now, Chelsea, that, that bid for him? So I would say that in a realistic market, he probably isn't 100 million. I would say maybe you could put him about 50, like, you know, if you want to put the top echelon. But obviously, just with the reality of how everything works in football, especially in the Premier League, where you've had the likes of Anthony moving in recent years, Jack Grealish, and those two players are the ones that Shakhtar have cited a lot over the past six months over their demands for this 100 million fee because they say that Madrid is better than both of those players. And that they see him as one of the top left wingers in all of Europe behind, you know, Vinicius Jr. and Bappe um, and Neymar. So it, 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 they've got a very high evaluation of him um, and how they see him. Um, and they've ended up getting it. I think that is the main thing in, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> so somehow they have. Um, I think the valuation of the player has been slightly uh over egged per se in terms of how much he's gone for due to a number of circumstances not just because of the player's own ability but also in the context of the fact that he is Schechter's best player in a current climate where they're unable to attract some of the high Brazilian talent for example that they may have done in the past uh they rate him so highly because of the Champions League performances he put in this season um which obviously uh, inflated his cost a bit more after a summer where there were a few bids in for him, like 30 to 40 million, which you would probably say are more, is more reasonable just based on where he's currently at playing in the Ukrainian Premier League. It's not at the highest level um, of a football competition compared to uh, the top leagues of Europe. Um, it's it, just a lot of it, I think, is goes down to his potential and some of his attributes that are, in my opinion, 
uh, you could call them extraterrestrial, otherworldly in terms of how fast he is, um, his dribbling ability, um, and even some of his passing, which I've seen. And if he had better finishes on the end of them, we'd probably be talking about them a lot more openly and freely. So let's get into those in terms of the strengths that Mudrick has as a player. I've been, you know, scouting him extensively for the uh, past uh, two to three hours. And so I feel like a real professional (laughs) on the topic. What I noticed, though, from some of the stuff I was pulling in my scout was that just in general, his both on the ball and off the ball movement, particularly on the left hand side, his ability to use his body to feint to get around defenders whether it's a one-on-one or a two-on-one, he has a really good ability to move the ball at his feet, to kind of make diagonals and run-ins, and also kind of pass it out. So I feel like that was very exciting. And he almost has like an electric or a magnetic type of appeal when he's on the pitch because of how he does control it. So those were what I noticed like right off the bat, but I'll let you paint maybe the more full picture of what are those top strengths that you see in him as a player. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree with that, uh, Dan, but I'll probably add that he, for me, he's a highly technical winger, Uh, very good at dribbling at high speeds, um, may I say. So when he's got either when he's got it at the with the ball at his feet or if he's running onto a ball, if he's taking sort of a big touch, he can run onto that pass, even outpacing most defenders. Um, He likes to try and I guess, take a lot on for himself, especially at Schechter, because he is of a higher quality than the rest of the squad, in all all honesty. So he understands that he has to maybe take on um, beating three or four players at once or uh, trying to spray a pass after doing a few skill moves, etc. He is um, very good uh, at basically seeing seeing where where his teammates are as well he's got some quite nice vision uh, so he's got some good combinations with his midfield partners per se um the, the problem at Shakhtar is is that he sometimes doesn't have a center forward that's effective enough to feed into or you know play a ball in so he maybe takes on things a bit too much um however what he does is when he is on the ball he always takes maybe he doesn't just fling the ball into the box and spray in crosses or anything like that. He will always try and pick someone out, try and make it as effective as possible. It doesn't always work out. I think if you look at some of those stats, uh, there's a lot of sometimes pass completion doesn't fully work out or anything like that. But he he does always go for the progressive, um, for the progressive action, be that, you know, trying to get an assist or trying to feed someone in who will, who will end up getting a goal. On top of that uh, as well, uh, on our podcast, we had a Euro expert on um, who's quite good. He's been scouting for everyone. And he drew the comparisons with Eden Hazard um, from a player that if you had to compare him to anyone, obviously he's not at that level yet, you know, when Eden Hazard w- was at his elite best. But there are comparisons that you can see there as in, in terms of his acceleration and deceleration. So yeah, he can, he can run as fast as he possibly can, but he can stop that ball quickly, shift, shift the ball onto his other foot and then play that pass and switch play as quickly as possible or beat a man, uh, make, make the defenders second guess. So I think those are very much his most important qualities. Um, And of course he's got 
a fair bit to work on in some other areas due to his current age. And uh, hopefully the development and this move coming at the age that he is will allow him to do so um, compared to, you know, other talents that end up leaving Ukraine, for example, way too late in their careers. I guess a, a question that I have for you, Andrew, is, you know, we, we know the Premier League is uh, fraught with uh, physicality, right? I mean, this is a incredibly physical league. It's probably the most physical league in the world. And I would say if you looked at, at the profile of Chelsea's wingers right now or forward players, a lot of them are slight, easily moved and have had injury issues because of, of the physicality that is in the league. Uh, how do you think that uh, our, our new friend Mudrik will cope with that? Because, you know, I think that's one of the the main concerns that, you know, Chelsea are going through this injury crisis right now where you have 11 players who are out that, you know, we're hoping that players that are coming in are a little bit more uh, sturdy and ready for battle. Uh, well, essentially, over the past 18 months, two years, he has bulked up immensely, really, from what he was. He used to be this scrawny kind of character where he was getting bullied off the pitch and things. And now he's got a personal trainer that he works with beyond Shakhtar gym training and everything else. You'll see it in his Instagram stories. He's in the gym, you know, going on like 10 p.m. at night or, or stuff at some points where he's doing things like, um, you know, squat jumps with... Yes, just yesterday, 110 kilograms. And, you know, as far as I'm aware, he's so he's got that, he's basically working on that explosiveness. And he is able to, when he has to try and beat a defender or something like that, or even track back um, and try and bully someone off the ball, he has got that ability. And I think he's also got the aggressiveness in himself to try and get involved in tackles like that as well. So, yeah, compared to maybe, for example, even Christian Pulisic, he is a lot more physical in that respect in my personal opinion from the position that he plays in um and on top of that uh speaking of that personal trainer he did uh Mudrik did an interview with someone recently a Ukrainian journalist uh towards the end of last year where they were in the gym with the personal trainer as well and essentially their current dream goal that they're trying to work to is for Mudrik to try and achieve a 40 kilometer sprint in a game Bear in mind that Mudrik was recorded as the fast as having the fastest sprint in the Champions League this season at 36.6 kilometers. So that's his current personal best. And they're trying to push it to sort of abnormal strength. And personally, I've um over the past, I don't know, 18 months, I've seen Mudrik play heatfuls of times live. Um I was in Ukraine a few times over the past um towards the end of this year, uh, went to all the Champions League games that Shakhtar played as well. And honestly, in terms of sheer pace from a footballer he's one of the fastest players I've ever seen just like full stop so I think that is something that hopefully um, he can use to exploit himself and adapt to the Premier League quicker than maybe some others who don't have that ability do anyway you also mentioned a couple of areas where you think he has room to improve as well I think maybe the you know, people are going to start to look at underlying stats and try to fill their own narrative with what, in terms of either the goals, the goals plus assist, and what that looks like. Where do you think his game has an opportunity to improve, maybe like short-term, mid-term? So I think, let's go for three key areas. Um, finishing, 
Um, he does. He's he's improved his goal scoring this season because he's been working a lot of extra time on the pitch and stuff, trying to finish with both feet um, and everything else. But I think he still can work on that. Uh, he's got. He's had a lot of chances. Um, he tries to go for shots outside the box sometimes. I think he just can improve with the accuracy on that, despite some of the. I don't know, worldy goals that he has scored, for example, the one against Celtic in the Champions League, um, amongst others. So finishing, I think he can work on. Also decision-making, in my opinion. So as I mentioned earlier, he was he has this knack of, you know, trying to beat two, three, four players. He does that and he either gets beaten by the last man or he gets, or he gets past him and then he just ends up throwing a pass somewhere and, you know, it goes to no one. Obviously, I think that's got two factors, maybe the quality of his um, teammates as well. Yeah, he has got some great players there, but maybe not someone who's maybe on the same wavelength as him to be, you know, receiving the passes like a centre forward that runs in because tractor centre forwards are pretty timid. They're a bit, you know, abstract in the way that they won't be in the box a lot of the times. And he's run into the box, cut it back from the byline and try to pass to someone and there's just nobody there. So as long as Chelsea, I think, kind of, well, ensure that there is a few more bodies around him to maybe allow him to provide for someone, then that should hopefully improve that. And just in general decision making, I think he probably can improve on. And then finally, I think um, stop trying to be, you know, that everything player. Whereas in taking it on yourself, I know obviously with this with this massive fee that is going to come with it, there's going to be that burden. But for him to be like Eden Hazard, where he is literally going to take on most of the team's, I don't know, attacks and everything else. I think at this stage of his career, he probably just needs to work a bit more with his teammates. So, for example, um, there has been a few occasions where he has been like, for example, marked out the game. And essentially what that has resulted in for Ukraine or for Shakhtar is they basically can't create anything else or they, that's just basically it. And then sort of the game flattens out and they've just not got anything else going for them. So as long as there is an alternative to Mudrik in the team, for example, where he can switch the play and it's not fully, fo like the full 90 minutes is not just asking him to create something and put, put things on plates for people, then I think it should... Um, make it slightly easier for him to adapt into the league. And hopefully, maybe, you know, in six months, a year's time, he can start taking on a lot more responsibility going forward. Albeit, from what I've heard, it it seems like he is very much expected to come into the team straight away, uh, be a starter and sort of hit the ball rolling from there. My personal opinion, I think he probably will need about six months just to fully, you know, immerse himself in the league. And just with the way Chelsea season is going at the moment, maybe that might make it a bit easier. Um, I know there is a lot of pressure and there is the potential for, um, you know, managerial sackings and everything else. But just with the current position and if it ends up being that Chelsea don't get Europe or anything like that, then from the summer, I think a full pre-season, just to, you know, to get to know his teammates, to start getting that telepathy, which he has got with a few of his um, uh, co-club players that he's got at Shakhtar at the moment, um, will help him exponentially. I think every Chelsea fan's ears perked up when you mentioned Eden Hazard, and you know, rightfully so. Um, you know, came to us at a similar age, um, maybe was a little bit more advanced in his in his technical ability at that stage than than Mudrik is, obviously, but.
Uh, one of the things that uh, Chelsea fans never got tired of shouting about is that Eden Hazard never tracked back, right? He was basically given all the responsibility offensively and was a passenger defensively, actually, to saw the was a clip from John Terry doing a Chelsea TV interview back in the day where he was like, we basically knew we were going to carry him defensively, but because he was so good offensively and because he took on so much responsibility going forward, that was a trade we were willing to make, right? Uh, is, is that kind of the vibe that you get with Mudrik, or is he, is he more of a worker defensively tracking back, trying to win the ball back, etc.? In all honesty, um, I've seen a lot of, like, for example, Shakhtar's attacks when they're playing in the, on a counter-attack or anything like that start within their own half. And Mudrik is usually in his own half, and then a ball sprayed, you know, a through ball is sprayed through, like, you know, yards ahead of him, you know, tens of yards ahead of him. And he's got enough pace to run onto that. Um, he is actually quite, I think, as far as I'm aware, I've seen a few sort of heat maps and stuff. He doesn't maybe contribute as defensively as, you know, as you probably would like from maybe a left midfielder, for example. But he is, he does find himself back there an awful lot, um, trying to, you know, take the ball on and then trying to start a move from there that he can pass out to one of the midfielders and then play out uh, and then run onto um, going forward. And I mean, at the moment, I've watched a few Chelsea games, a fair few Chelsea games this season. It seems like there is a need for somebody like that who can um, a bit more of that explosive pace to to try and, I don't know, try and cr- help create a bit more for everyone going forward. Albeit, I think what will be key, and I'm, I'm sure that you guys will probably laugh a bit, is a, a competent midfield, which um, <laughs> I think that Chelsea are very much still in the process of rebuilding. Um, ah, I don't know what you're being. talking about. It's going great. <laughs> We're, you know killing it right now uh yeah well i i mean let, let's actually talk about you know the forward play right you, you mentioned multiple times maybe he doesn't have the right profile forward blah, blah blah obviously an area where chelsea is struggling this year i mean we are certainly mid-table in goals four and uh it seems like we make scoring harder than every other premier league team on a week-to-week basis right now um what type or profile of forward do you think would pair best with his skills and abilities? Is it someone who is more of a traditional uh, number 11, can hold the ball up, can interchange like, you know, Olivier Giroud type, or is it someone that's a traditional number nine who wants to play on the shoulder, get in behind and get on the end of that service? Like how do you see his, his contributions from an assist standpoint working out there? As far as I'm aware, he's been playing with a few number 11 types at Schechter. That it might have an impact the fact that those 11s aren't that good or aren't as effective, they're maybe a bit sluggish in getting into the box, and maybe their build up play isn't all that. So, as as far as I see it at the time being, I saw someone suggest it on Twitter, I'm not entirely sure who, I can't remember, but they were saying that the potential to play uh, Felix and Abamyang together, sort of like a front two, or even like Havertz together, and then Mudrik being on the side there. I think that would work a lot better because Mudrik likes to play these combinations of, you know, passes, um, you know, those sort of through balls, uh, reverse passes that he can then run onto after he does a sort of quick one-two or something like that. And then feed in whichever forward is running onto it and is already there. Um, And then a lot of the time, what you'll get is sort of Mudrik running on his own, for example, if it's a counter and he just needs someone else basically alongside him to tap in, for example. And as long as he's got that, I think that will probably be the most effective way to utilize him 
um, at the very start, especially just the way that Chelsea are playing at the moment. They're maybe not controlling games as much or or anything like that. So this way, I think, might be more more effective with the current profile of players that, that you guys have got. What do you think is a realistic expectation for Mudrik between now and the end of the season? I mean, we highlighted a couple of things that are issues for Chelsea right now. The midfield, the distribution, goal scoring in general. Uh, there's not a lot of things that are all 100% correct on the pitch at the moment. Mudrik is going to come in to a little bit of chaos and Chelsea are just, they're friends with chaos. Very, very good friends. So... What what would be like a a you're in viewing an opportunity? What would be a really good next six months for for Madrid between now and the end of the Premier League season? Dan is playing our classic game of expectations management, Andrew. We need we need <laughs> expectations managed. Um, if I was just going to put it out, maybe like stats wise, if we're going to go for something like that, um, I'd I'd expect him to certainly get over five goals and over five assists before the end of the season in the Premier League alone. I would hope. Um, just on everything that's going for for him, I hope I'm hoping for closer to ten on both of those. But you know, I'm just going to maybe be realistic from the from the current way that Chelsea are playing and with the midfield <laughs> issues and everything else. Um, I just think that maybe it might take a slightly s- slower approach just for the whole team to to get through this current tough period. Um, and elsewhere, I'm hoping that what will happen is that it will just he will inject a bit more pace into the team, and it will just help improve the players that have been lacking in the other forward positions um, recently. You know, just give them a bit more confidence because Mudrik is currently quite high on confidence. He literally has that, as far as I'm aware. Well, as far as I see it, that sort of Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo type determination, and maybe you could say ego in himself of how good he rates himself and obviously the fee and all that will will add to that um he's got a lot of faith in himself and just as long as i think potter show re-shows that faith he needs basically a manager that is quite hands-on quite a good people person as long as he's sort of i think given that sort of stroke on the blonde hair and says you're the best player in the world or you can win that ballon d'or <laughs> i think he will i think he'll be as good as you can possibly have him for for, for the price tag, for sure. One of the things that we have talked about recently, and maybe we'll kind of end on this, is that Chelsea do need some players with a little bit of an edge to them in terms of some steel, some resiliency, some... Uh, Nick likes to call them bastic, bastard-coated bastards and bastard with bastard filling. Um, right. Does he have that edge to his game where he is a little bit more of a... I'm not going to say like jerk, but is he willing to kind of stand up and challenge and be accounted for? A little shithouse. Yeah. little shithouse. Give me a little shithouse. I'm more. pretty sure he is. When I was um, I was watching him in the Nations League uh, last year, towards the end of the year, and yeah, he was getting involved. He was getting a few day challenges in. Maybe borderline sort of could have got sent off for them, but he is definitely someone that likes to get stuck in, um, trying to mouth off a bit. And I'm sure he will take sort of other sides in the Premier League that do that as well, sort of in his stride. And he'll love it. I'm sure he'll get a sort of baptism of fire in terms of a good hiding um, in his opening few games. But um, I'm sure that once that's sort of passed, it, it should all go. It should all go positively from there. 
Well, if uh, everything goes to plan, it's likely his first opportunity would be at Anfield's for him to get an opportunity to go at Trent Alexander-Arnold. And so, I don't know. I feel like you would relish the opportunity to create a couple of TikTok highlight reels of you just blowing past him. That would be something I think that would excite him. Fingers crossed. Um, Probably a bit of a dress rehearsal because Ukraine are playing England at Wembley in March too. So, if anything, Chelsea have got a bargain because he might have had another 10 or 20 million added onto him if he performed well in that game. So, um all good good stuff going on and uh fingers crossed that if he does make a debut at Anfield, um it'll be a good one and he makes an impact um in that game. All right, Andrew. Well, we super appreciate you spending some time with us yeah. to get us up to speed. Uh, we now feel like we are at least uh, at the like 200 level in terms of our knowledge of Mudrick, and we hope that our listeners are as well. But uh, you can, if you want to give people just the uh, where to find you, where to listen more, particularly if they want to learn more about like Ukrainian football, uh, what what should they do? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Um, I think we've had a good bit of fun over the past um, <laughs> past uh, you know half hour or so. And fingers crossed that everything works out best for both Madrid and Chelsea during his time there. Uh, yeah, so if anyone wants to follow me, uh, at Zorro Londonsk on Twitter, on Instagram, also on Telegram, if you use that. But that's in Ukrainian, so if you want to join in on that, do so. And also, uh, I co-host the podcast Ukraine Plus Football. We've got our own sort of Madrid special where we discuss this may be in a bit more even more detail than this so if you want to listen to that that's the top pin tweet and you can find it on all good um podcast providers at ukraine plus sign plus football all right well we'll make sure to give that a retweet as well but thank you so much and uh have a wonderful rest of your day and uh let's go chelsea come on boy oh boy nick so after all of that has been said and done I don't know. I feel like I am an expert on Mudrik now. I know what's going on. I can talk about him confidently. I understand how the deal came together. Naz and Andrew have set us up to relish the opportunity for Mudrik, potentially. Again, we still need the contract to be signed. We still need to see the official Chelsea FC Twitter account put out that it is a done deal. But I would look forward to him roasting Trent Alexander-Arnold at Anfield. That would be a great way to start your Chelsea career. Yeah, when you brought that up, I was like, whoa, <laughs> what a potential first foray into into that atmosphere. Good Lord. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, the speed thing really stood out to me, right? I mean, this is clearly a player with wheels, and in the Premier League, that can be the difference sometimes, right? Um, in between uh, winning and losing or, or getting a shot off or whatever. So, you know, we don't really have that speed merchant on the team right now like we have in the past. So hopefully this brings back visions of of Duff and Robin, you know, firing down the wings and, and doing a great job for us. But uh, one, one thing I will say is uh, the amount of salty Arsenal fans that are out there right now, even in a league uh, table where we are nine places behind them and struggling and not playing well, Oh my goodness. If if only for the banter and if only for this flag <laughs> with the, the faces of Zhao Felix and Mudrik on it, which says we th- see things they'll never see. Boy, the banter alone has been worth it. Look, you know, sometimes a joke is expensive. This is a very expensive <laughs> joke. But boy, oh boy, at least in this exact moment, it does feel kind of good because, again, as we mentioned, some of the football on pitch, not great. Some of the stuff now happening off pitch seems really good. So we hope that Chelsea continue this positive trend. 
look, Chelsea do still need to address midfield. We still need to figure out what we're going to do from a Reese James backup, whether that's bringing in one of our young guns from the academy or getting someone in the market right now. But Chelsea have a ton of work still to do, as Naz talked about it. Expect deadline day for Chelsea in terms of outgoings to be chaos this year. Uh, look, it's maybe a little bit more chaos than chaos and less trophies than we anticipated. But boy, oh boy, it seems like Chelsea are trying to find a way for us to all get a little bit more excited again, particularly after uh, a week or two that have not been the most memorable. So, Nick, with that said, I think it's time for us to wrap this up. Yeah. I mean, more to come, obviously. We're, we're, we're trying to keep up with the breakneck pace of everything here. So uh, if, you know, if there's something you want to hear about, let us know. Send us a DM. Send us an email. We'll try our best. You know we're doing five pod weeks right now. And, uh, and look, we're processing our feelings as we go. So uh, have, have a little thought for Sam. Have a little bit of thought for our editing team, Jake and Nemanja, who have crushed this week. And, uh, yeah, let's get back on the good foot. All right, Chelsea fans, let's wrap us up for that one. We'll be back at you after our match against Crystal Palace. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.